swing and a fly ball, pretty well hit left field. Conine towards the corner, Conine towards the wall, leaping and he got it! What a grab by Jeff Conine! Conine swings in the first pitch, high fly ball left field, deep, it's up, up and away, a home run for Jeff Conine! Some icing on the cake in the eighth inning! In right field, there's a ball hit by Jeff Conine, past the diving Eric Carroll into right field. Here as they start the bottom of the eighth inning off with Jeff Conine, who just ought to retire. He's four for four today. Just forget it. Just retire. He's in the Marlins Hall of Fame. Outside the box with Jeff Conine. We're kicking off the weekend with the recording this time. A little bit different schedule. Thanks for bearing with me. I had a hitting lesson yesterday, and I told you that you're like, why are you taking a hitting lesson? Which I don't blame you for having that initial thought, because why would somebody take a lesson from me? But no, I I didn't say that. I thought you were actually taking a lesson. And because we know you play in a league, right? And I thought, oh, you are actually taking a lesson from someone. And I'm like, if this guy took a lesson from someone other than me, I'm going to be really offended. <laughs> well, that that's the thing is I'm going to you for a lesson. We'll probably, I, I was just telling you, we launched the YouTube and maybe, maybe we'll have to do hitting lesson with Jeff Conine where you fix my swing. Cause it's a little bit shaky right now, but I do the men's league. I still have four years of eligibility. I'm going to remind you that every third episode or so for right. FIU, we got some FIU talk about two sons, your son, and, of course, MJ Melendez, who is the son of the head coach at FIU as well, duking it out for the home run title right now in the minor leagues. It's going to be one of those two guys with the way they're hitting it right now. Uh, we're going to talk some rule changes because there are some crazy rule changes going on right now that we've seen since the COVID season. And Rob Manfred said maybe we're not going to keep them. I want to kind of talk about that because that's going to be something that's interesting in the CBA. And then I want to talk to you about rebuilding teams because – the Cubs rolled out a lineup today that if you told me it was the triple A team for the Cubs, I wouldn't have batted an eye. So I want to talk about your experience on some rebuilding teams as well. Uh, but let's start with the rules because the rules, I am going to give you an unpopular opinion. I, I know you're going to, I, we haven't talked about this, which I love. This is, I have no idea how you're going to react, but knowing. Yes, you do. I think yes, you do know yeah, how I'm going to react. I do. But I don't, I don't have it verified yet. And I personally, and I'm just going to say it, don't get mad at me. I like the extra inning rule. I, I'm just going to put myself out there and say it. I I'm didn't like it you. at first. I can I'm see not mad at you. shuddering, but I kind of like it. I hate extra inning games where they go 16 innings. You know, they're not going to score. It's miserable. I also hate the ghost runner thing that early. Maybe you do it after the 10th or 11th. What are your thoughts on that rule to start uh, the extra inning rule? Because I know you didn't like playing in 15 inning games either. Yeah, but but Arm, what are we going to do that once a year, maybe twice a year when you get a, a game that lasts that long? Um, I think you're just altering something that's been the history of baseball, 130, whatever, 40 years. It's a nine inning game. And if you're tied, you keep going until you somebody wins. That's all there is to it. So to put extra runners on and to, who knows where they're going to go from there. Do we start with a two and one count or, you know, all these little league rules are starting to throw in there in a major league baseball. Um, I get it. Hey, that if someone happens to have a 20 inning game, it's going to ruin your pitching staff and blah, blah, blah. But like I said, how many times does that actually happen in the course of a year, a handful of times. So to actually rewrite the, the, the rule book because of a few stretched out games here and there, I'm not for it. And I just don't like uh, putting runners on and 
I think the game should be the game and figure it out. Okay. That, that's a very good point. And you've partially sold me, but then imagine this, because this is what I do every single night. You're on the ML, MLB TV app and you're scrolling through games and you're like, what game should I watch? Now, when I see an extra inning game, I'm like, hell yeah, that's going to be some action. I'm putting that thing on. In the past, I would never put on an extra inning game. No interest because it's just zero, zero, zeros. I understand the, the baseball purity part of it, but there's got to be some sort of merit to the fact that I, I am way more interested. And I know I'm not alone on this, but it's way more interesting to watch an extra inning game because it's like, is this guy going to get out of the jam? Uh, are they going to be able to walk it off here? I agree. I do. I, personally, I'm mostly a baseball purity guy, but I feel like I'm starting to gravitate a little bit more towards being creative with things. But I think second base with no outs is a little bit egregious. Maybe first base with no outs is that, or maybe after the 12th, or are you just not budging? I'm just not budging. I'm sorry. I mean, and you know what? I'm not a fan of baseball, so I, I don't watch games. I don't scroll through and say, oh, there's an extra inning game. I'm more interested now because of the new rule. I just don't really watch baseball games. So I get it if you are into it because that makes you want to watch. And if that is the trend now that, that a lot of young people will watch an extra inning game or will scroll through and see an extra game and know that, hey, it's probably going to be over soon, I'll watch it. All right, then that's fine for you. But for me, as a baseball purist and a guy that doesn't watch a whole lot of games, I'm not going to scroll through and say, oh, there's an extra inning game. I'm going to watch it now because I know it'll be over soon. I just don't get it. So I don't can you it. talk about why a lot of veteran ball players don't watch games that much? Um, is that a thing? I don't know. I thought I it might is. be kind I mean, of uh, in the in the the minority with that uh, view, but you know what? I didn't want, I didn't like watching games when I was growing up. I wasn't really a fan of baseball. So um, I know it's, it sounds stupid. I love playing it obviously. Um, but when you think about the way I grew up and my dad was a Dodgers fan and he watched Dodgers games. So the only time I ever watched a baseball game is if my dad was happened to be watching it and I was in the room um, I would kind of semi pay attention. So I knew the old Dodgers teams, you know, Ron Say, Bill Russell, Davey Lopes, Steve Garvey, uh, you know, uh, Dusty Baker and, and Reggie Smith out in the outfield. I knew those teams just because I heard their names so much from my dad watching, but uh, I never tuned in so I could actually watch a game. Um, so I guess, I guess that's kind of uh, held over. And other guys that were actually big fans of baseball growing up and they watched a lot of baseball, like, for instance, Griffin. Griffin, my son, will watch baseball games any chance he gets. He'll wake up in the morning, put on Sports Center, and watch highlights all morning long. Um, some of those guys are just tired of it after a while. After they get done playing, it's like, hey, I don't have any use for this anymore. Uh, I know a lot of guys that didn't want to work out anymore after their baseball career was over. They were made to work out their whole baseball career, and afterwards they're like, I don't want to be told to work out anymore, so they didn't. They put on 50 pounds. So um, I guess that's kind of the way it goes with, guys that have retired and don't want to watch anymore. Maybe they're just, I'm over it. I don't want to watch anymore. Yeah. Well, I can kind of give the parallel to that since I can't really relate to that whatsoever beyond this, but I don't listen to podcasts 
because I do so many of these things. I mean, this one, this one's fun. This is twice a week, but I got to do a bunch of other ones, other podcasts. And by the time I'm done for the week, I don't want to listen to another one. I, I right. just did so many of them. I just don't want to. And there's some really great ones out there. I'm sure. I mean, if somebody else was hosting this one, I'd love to listen to outside the box with Jeff Conan with somebody else, but I just, I'm so gassed from it that I'm just like, I don't want to listen to one. So I can kind of understand that. But what about when the postseason rolls around? Because I know post-season, you postseason, I'm in. That's the thing. It's like we yeah. have a show about baseball and you know everything that's going on. It's just more so the sitting down and watching pitch by pitch by pitch that I feel like a lot of former players are like, I did that enough already. Yeah. And if the game's on, I'll, you know, I might have it on in the background, but, you know, postseason is a different animal. When that, when that comes into play, uh, I'm all in because now it means something like literally every pitch, every run. And I lived it. So I know what the postseason means. I know what those guys are going through. I know the, the height of the emotions that they're feeling as these games are being played. Yeah. So that puts a lot more excitement in my, you know, it gets my blood boiling a little bit more because I know what they're feeling uh, on a regular day. You know, it's just, uh, you know, it's not like you're a robot, but you prepare the same way every day. You got your routine, you get out there and you play these games and you try to, you know, win games, you try to master numbers and then boom, at the end of the season. Now, did we make the postseason? Yes. Now game on. That's when it really means something. Well, I was going to say the converse of that too, is you knew, you knew what it felt like through the dog days and maybe how disinterested some players were through July and August. If you're in the dog days of a season on a mediocre team and uh, it's hard to watch those games then too. And knowing how maybe disinterested some players were at that point to sit there and watch a game with intent when you kind of knew what it was like maybe going through the motions at some points during the long season. I think NBA has the same issue to a degree where there's not that importance placed on the regular season. I doubt that many NBA players, former NBA players are watching the regular season games, but then all of a sudden you get to the postseason and all of these former NBA players are tweeting and, you know, live watching everything. And I think it's kind of a similar aspect to baseball, which I always find fascinating, but continuing on the rules, because there's another rule that really I think is this is one, too, where I think they should just do it. But DH, universal DH, I, like, I think it's so ridiculous. If you take a step back and say, okay, there's two leagues and one league has different rules than the other, it just sounds so dumb to me. I, I just don't understand how you can have the same sport and then different rules in two different leagues that cross over. Uh, if you really take a step back, it's weird. What are your thoughts on the universal DH? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm for that one, you know, there um, we go. either, yeah, either have it or don't, but uh, I'm yes. for the, I'm for the other, I, I'd like to see the DH in the national league. Although I do get a kick out of watching pitchers hit sometimes because uh, it can be quite comical. Um, but some are the rakers, man. Some of these guys can really hit, yeah. but then you get in the postseason and now you've got an American league team in a national league park and the pitchers have never hit all year long and they've got to grab a bat and stand in the batter's box. That doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe, you keep it the same way, but in the postseason, now we're a DH, you know, you add the DH to that. So it's an even playing field, but I'm all for uh, during the season, especially now with these pitches, the way they're dominating, get a little extra, extra offense in there and add the DH to the national league. I'm for that one. I, I'm, I'm absolutely the same way too. And I think there's a big difference in terms of both leagues pitching wise, knowing that as a pitcher, you're going to have a break at the end of the lineup not only does that help you just having one ninth of the lineup being largely incapable of hitting, but if you're pitching to an eighth hitter with a runner on second and two outs, you can pitch around now two guys. So that to me just makes a huge difference. And I don't think it's a surprise to see American league pitchers 
struggling compared to what National League pitchers are doing ERA-wise and uh, a lot of the pitching stats across the board. And also, like, let's see some more offense. Let's have some fun. DHs are a blast. We talk about Nelly Cruz, all of those guys. I I would love to see it across the board. That's one that I'm glad to have you on the good side on. What about shifting? Shifting to me? Just go back to the DH DH for just a second is if you get a good quality DH in your lineup, that's worth one run a game. You know, yeah. he's going to knock in 80 at least. He's going to score 80 uh, with the offset of home runs or whatever. That's a run a game. So that's why you see the disparity in ERAs between the National League Absolutely. and the Absolutely. Absolutely. Because so, it's not just pitcher to another hitter. It's pitcher to probably one of the best hitters. Because the DH, if you're, if you're right. not playing in the field, you're the best, best hitter or one of. So, no, it's a good point. It's a stark difference uh, in terms of how the lineup's constructed, too. Uh, which just makes it a lot more difficult. And then for shifting, I know what you're going to say about this. And honestly, I'm kind of in the same boat. Just figure it out. Like just, just hit it the other way. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm going both ways on this one because, you know, I hate to see a guy have a great quality at bat, does everything perfectly correct and hits into a guy that's in standing in short right field uh, waiting for it because you know he's seen all the the spray charts and he knows this guy hits that ball right there 58 percent of the time so I'm going to stand there well uh, a great way to beat the shift like you said is to learn how to hit the other way um, guys didn't shift on me because I could hit it to both fields um, and then but nowadays I mean it's become almost comical the way they have tilted the field if you could weight it on an actual thing the whole field would be tough oh. like this because all the weight of all the players are on one side it's unbelievable um, and, you know, it's frustrating as a player. Like you said, you, you do everything right, and then you're hitting into a, a, a ball that for your entire life until now has been a base hit, and you're on base. Well, now you're, you're either getting thrown out or they're catching something that shouldn't be caught. Hey, learn how to hit the other way. Well, the argument that's often used in favor of banning the shift is that the pitcher controls the game and controls the ball. And I do understand that argument to a degree, right? If I put a slider in on your hands – and I'm shifting you on the pole side, what are you supposed to do with that with two strikes? You know, right? You either got to put it over the wall or you got to hope you sneak it through. And yeah. that's where it's, it's kind of difficult, right? Oh, it's, a, it's supremely difficult. You can't take an inside, uh, many inside pitches, fastball, sliders, whatever, and try to hit it the other way. That's just uh, a pitch that you're going to make extra outs on where I'm going to try to hit that ball hard, so I'm going to square it up and I'm going to be in front. And if somebody catches it over there, hey, so be it. But I'm, I'm not going to try to finagle that ball to the other side of the diamond just to no. squib it through for a base hit. I'm going to still try and hit it hard where um, I think it's more for the players that, no, I'm dead red. I'm dead pull. I don't, they stand right on top of the dish. I mean, some of these guys, they literally have body parts in the strike zone. So now an outside pitch to them is middle, and I can hook that ball. I can hook that ball all day long and to the they opposite. Armor they, they, yep, they, they armor up. Yep, they armor up. They don't care about getting hit. Acuna uh, does that. The, yeah, exactly. He's got all kinds of body armor on there. And you see some of the pitches, you know, going back to that, to Acuna, you see some of the, you know, the pitches that the Marlins, you know, there's this big thing with the Marlins hitting him all yeah. the time. But he's actually getting hit with almost strikes sometimes. That's know? what but, I said. And Braves fans want my head on a stick when I say that. I'm sorry. I mean, the, they're not throwing at him. He crowds the plate. He wears the body armor and he gets hit. And you know what? If you're going to do that, if you're going to encroach the strike zone almost with your arms in the strike zone, you're going to have to be expect you're going to expect to get hit. Yeah. And not and not cause a problem when you do. Just take your uh, base. Well, 
Well, that, yeah, that's that's the issue. Is I think the one time it may, may have been intentional with Jose Urania, but that guy also hits more guys than anybody in baseball. And then it seemed like every single time after that, it was just a whole scene from Ronald Acuna when it came to getting hit. And uh, he, he's unbelievably talented, but sometimes with, with those reactions and stuff, too much. It's too much. It's too much. Just what? take it. If, if you're crowding the plate, you're signing up for it. You're signing up for it. And I, and I know the Marlins hit him a lot, but it's because they're going after him to the way you're supposed to go after him, which is hard and inside. And it's worked. It's worked a lot against him. Uh, and also at times it doesn't work. But the only time he really beats them is, is when it's a breaking ball out over the plate. And that's where he really gets extended and crushes it. So the one thing that I think about the shift rule that I think is a good middle ground is maybe just – having some sort of semblance of regulation where you can't have three guys in right field, so to speak. And I know they've tried that in the minors where you have to have, I think two guys to the left of, of the bag or something along those lines. I'm watching Manny Machado play balls off the right field wall. And, and that just, I just can't really fathom that. Right. Like Manny Machado right. is throwing a guy like out the rover of when we were kids, Rover, you know, the Rover outfielder that could play anywhere they wanted to. Yes. Just kind of rove around, you know, in between the uh, center field and right field and just pick just your spot. Do whatever and, you want. Yeah, like, we're we're going to say left field is closed. You can't even hit it to left field. We're <laughs> going to put this guy over here. So you have to hit it to him. I'm telling you, I, that, that's where, where it's at. So I, I think that maybe a slight, slight adjustment there uh, could be could be the right move. And then this one to me is a no-brainer. I hate this rule, but the doubleheaders. <laughs> Seven-inning doubleheaders are the worst atrocity in baseball history, in my opinion. I think they're absolutely a joke. What is your thing? I 100% agree. I, I mean, that, you know, you're talking about a guy that wants to have the extra inning games. I mean, now you're going to take – two innings away of each game that's and how many double headers you're going to have during the course of a year. It's not that many. I don't know what, the, I don't know what the point or the purpose of having seven inning games uh, in a double header. I don't understand the, What's the, prompt, two more the innings? process before that. <laughs> What's two more innings. Now you've got a guy that happened this year through a no hitter. It's got no hits through seven innings. Is that a no hitter? No, it's not a no hitter. What do they call it? It's a notable achievement. Whatever. It's an asterisk. <laughs> you did it. You threw seven no hit innings. Thanks a yeah. lot. You know, how many guys I'm, have done that? And I'm sure that guy wants to go back out for the eighth. Oh, sorry, there is no eighth because now we only have seven inning games. Get rid of it. I wouldn't even want the notable achievement thing. I, to That's me, embarrassing. Don't even, don't even, don't even. Uh, pat me know. on the back. Say good start. Yeah. And that's the problem too. Is, is word, that, uh, yeah. Your starter goes five shutout. Generally, you still don't got patronize. a marathon. Don't, don't patronize me like that. That's what the word I wanted to say. Yeah, patronize. There you go. There you yeah. go. But the, the the thing with that is your starter goes five innings in a nine inning game, you've still got a big bridge to your closer through your bullpen. It's a challenge, but now in a seven inning game, your starter goes five. He almost went the distance. Like you go set up man closer. It's over. Yep. Like that. That's just, it, to me is absurd. It's again, it's some little league esque stuff. So I'm with you on that. And I would really like to see them. That's the number one thing I want to change. Uh, the DH is somehow a bargaining chip in the CBA, which is a joke because I think both sides stand to benefit, but they know the players want it more. And now it becomes, it's like, I know you want this, so I'm going to hold it over your head, even though I have no reason not to want this, but that's where we're at. Well, uh, I think the owners always come to the, the point where DHs get paid a lot of money, you know, because yeah. they can hit and that's going to add 15 more jobs, 15 more jobs to the uh, national league at a pretty high rate of pay. Well, that's what it's all about. They just don't want to pay that money. So they want to keep the pitchers hitting. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, it's, it's getting to the point too, with these pitchers now that, they're not even swinging 
up at the plate. Like they're, they're just going up there and just taking three pitches because they don't want to risk pulling something in their back or getting hurt or whatever. And they're not even swinging. Like that's just, that's just a joke to me. But, but don't the, you, don't you, wouldn't you kind of miss the gamesmanship at the end of National League games when you got a double switch to uh, make, you know, whoever made that last out, you want that next pitcher to be able to go two or three innings. Uh, I, I kind of miss that. I, I will. Absolutely. I will miss the lineup manipulation that happens with uh, National League pitchers hitting. Well, American League, here's your lineup. It's never going to change. That's the way it is. No, I, I 100%. It's like the age old, uh, just tough decision of do I leave my starter out for another inning and let him hit? Or is this a big enough opportunity where my pinch hitter can come up with a big RBI? Like that's one of the hardest decisions to make in baseball and you take it away. So I, I do understand that side of it. And I just also look at pitchers hitting and then it, I start to sway back the other way. Cause I'll watch, I'll watch a guy take three pitches down the middle and I, I just watched Rich Hill hit the other day for the Mets. And I was just like, I don't even want to watch this. Right. It's just not even, enjoy, it's, it's not even enjoyable. So it's tough because I do like the gamesmanship of it. The double switches, uh, to, you know, deciding if you want to try to stretch your starter out one more inning, those kind of things are, are really fun and make the game what it is. But also, we're getting to a point now where hitting is so hard that these pitchers just don't even stand a chance. They're hitting, I think, mean, 110 right now with a 50% strikeout rate. Like, they just don't even stand a chance. It's not like it was in the 90s or a little bit later than that even where pitchers maybe hit a little bit better. I feel like now they just don't even have a shot. Or they could bunt, too. They used to practice a lot uh, bunting uh, to get guys over. Now you very seldom see uh, many pitchers getting bunts down. And no. uh, like you said, they just stand there. They don't, they don't even care. They didn't want to succeed at that job where, you know, guys like Dontrell Willis, they want to get up there and they love to hit. So they want to hit. But oh, yeah. I say 90% of the guys just want to get the at bat over and get back in the dugout. Zambrano, Carlos Zambrano, when he struck out, I watched him snap his bat over his leg. Oh, he could rake. That guy could rake. He, man. Was, he livid. was a good hitter. He was livid. So I want to talk rebuilding, rebuilding lineups because I think this is terrible for baseball too. And I get it. You can't just magically field a competitive lineup after you sold off assets. And I get that you have to sell off assets, but I'm going to tell you the Cubs lineup today. And there's no way that if I told you this was the triple A lineup for the Cubs and no offense to anybody in this lineup, there's no way you would have even batted an eye. You would not have told me I was wrong. This is the lineup as follows. Lead off, Rafael Ortega in center field. Batting second is Matt Duffy playing third. Batting third is Ian Happ playing left. Batting in the cleanup spot is Frank Schwindle playing first base. Making his big league debut is Greg Diekman, who came over in a trade, playing right field. Andrew Romine, the journeyman, is batting sixth. Am I at sixth now or seventh? Seventh. Sixth, sixth. Andrew Romine playing shortstop and batting sixth. Robinson Chirinos, who's on his third team, this year is catching and batting seventh. Sergio Alcantara, who is another journeyman, is batting eighth and playing second. And then basically the only other recognizable name besides Ian Happ and Matt Duffy, who are both not good this year, Kyle Hendricks on the bump. If Kyle Hendricks is not on the bump, give me the Durham Bulls in two out of three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, – I, <clears throat> I did recognize Happ. Uh, I do know Hendricks, but the other ones – uh, that's a stretch, but you know what? I mean, like you said, what are they going to do? They traded half their team away. They, literally half their team is gone um, and they are saving a ton of money the rest of this year. And they're trying to do something 
uh, in the off season to, to shore up. And I, I'm sure the Wrigley fans are the Wrigley faithful are livid right now because they don't want to come watch this baseball either. You know, they're not paying their price of admission at Wrigley field to go watch this team play. And unfortunately that Frank Schwindel hit cleanup. I mean, that's what are you going to do? What, what's, what's your proposed, um, solution to this no no problem. this is this is this is totally me presenting a problem with no solution that's just what i'm doing here yeah, but I, it's more so just a, a segue as well into what it's like to be on a team like this as a player but i there, there's no solution and i understand that it's a necessary evil for the cubs but it's just so bad like it, it's just the, the worst thing for baseball as i always say is indifference and how can you not be indifferent about this line of fear cubs fan like at that point, I'm just like, lose, just lose. And in baseball, draft picks don't even matter that much, but I'd just be like, screw it, lose. I, <laughs> what, what are you rooting for at that point? Yeah. Development, I guess, like prospect development. Like you've got to be a really niche fan. And I'm that kind of dude, but you got to be a really niche fan to be excited about like Greg Diekman's debut uh, because he's an interesting prospect. Like that's, that's a challenge. But if you're a veteran that was stuck on that team, like a Kyle Hendricks, have yep. you had that? Did you have that situation in your playing days? Not quite um, that bad. So in 97, you know, we had a star set a team with the Marlins, we won the World Series. And the following year, it was a fire sale. Everybody was gone pretty much. And I was one of those guys. So I didn't have to endure the 98 season with the Marlins who they lost 108 games. Um, you know, I will say <clears throat> the, the start of the Marlins franchise in 1993, we were kind of cast off from all organizations because – uh, we were left exposed for the expansion draft. So we're, you know, that was kind of like that rebuilding type year, even though we weren't rebuilding, we were building, we had nothing before that. So we're building a team and that was a rough season. You know, we didn't lose a hundred games. Uh, I think we we're 98 and 64, 64 and 98 that year. Um, but it's rough, you know, it's rough knowing that two weeks into the season, you're playing games the rest of the year for nothing because you're so far out of it already that's when you kind of i wouldn't i would never say discount the team over yourself but at some point you got to say this is where i have to develop as a player myself i got to look out for my numbers and try and build the best season i possibly can because our team's doing yeah. nothing yeah and it's a shame it's almost like summer ball at that point where yep. you're playing summer ball as a college player or a high school player and i just had a crazy revelation right now and we jumped right into it so fast that I didn't get the jersey. So those that were waiting for the jersey, I just remembered, let's see the jersey. I thought I was waiting for your I you can speak up, you know. And okay, it's this. Cubs. It's Cubs. So it, it's not Matt Duffy, it's not Mike Schwindel. It's right? not Schwindel. I was thinking about it. I had it up there and <laughs> I thought up I'd, there. Throw, I'd, throw, I'd throw you a little slider, but nope. <laughs> um, but there's a lot there's a lot of cubs players that i actually have on jerseys that um i didn't want to like totally screw you over because you're what three for your last three so this will take some thought possibly moises alu no damn no nope. oh, i thought that was not a bad guess that was not a bad guess no not at all but i think uh let's see i have four I think four Hall of Famers on jerseys for the Cubs. Wow. Is this Hall of Famer? Yes, this is a Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer Cub. Years. Sandberg. 
Good guess. No. Good guess, but no. Man, I hope that I I'll, give you, no, I'll give you another clue. I played with this guy. You played with this guy. Oh, oh, Dawson. Yes. Andre Dawson. There we go. Nice. Number eight. That's, that was my number. The Hawk. The Hawk. Okay. So that, that helped me, but the Hawk hall of famer finished his career in Miami, right? That was his final or Florida. That was his final stop. He yep. just absolutely mashed. I think does not get enough attention for, for how good he was. He was, you know, um, if it hadn't been for what he did in Montreal to his body, uh, I think he's had eight surgeries on one knee, maybe 10 on the other, mm. uh, just completely destroyed his body on that turf, that awful turf. We're talking about, you know, the last episode, we talked a little about turf fields and how the, the te- technology for that has come a long way. Back then, it was like literally playing on a Brillo pad on a parking lot. That's what AstroTurf was back then. It was that rough. If you slid on it, you dove on it, it would tear your tear your skin off. It would oh. melt your uniform. And then the shock to your body, because there was no padding underneath that. Literally, Montreal's turf, which was probably the worst in the league, you peeled it back, and there was literally blacktop underneath that, that turf. There were seams everywhere, but this guy could absolutely rake. He was uh, super – he could run. He could hit for power, hit for average had an absolute cannon for an arm. I mean, this guy had one of the best arms in baseball history. Wow. Go back and watch some of his highlights of throwing guys out because he had a bazooka. But, you know, I got to work with him alongside uh, with him. After playing with him in 1996, he joined the Marlins front office and was an advisor, special assistant to the president, um, and one of the most respected men in the entire game of baseball. So when we went on strike in 1994, we had a huge player association meeting up in Tampa and we had probably, they would do a West coast meeting and an East coast meeting. So we drove up there and there are probably 300 players in this meeting at a ballroom at a hotel in Tampa. And, you know, things got a little heated, you know, it was, it was the first time uh, we had been on strike in a long time there was a partial, I think, stoppage in 1990, but this was in 94. It was full-blown. Uh, we're in the offseason trying to negotiate a deal, and things are getting a little heated in this meeting. And I remember sitting on one side in a, in a chair, and Andre Dawson was probably about 20 rows away from me, stood up in the middle of this huge crowd of players. And I, when I tell you, you 30 seconds later, you could hit her, hear a pin drop because – because Hawk didn't say much. Even as a teammate, Hawk never said anything. Like my dad would come in the locker room when I was playing, and he's like, man, that Andre Dawson's not a very good, nice guy. Huh? I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, he doesn't say, he hasn't said a word to me. And my dad comes in the locker room, and it's like, hey, Mr. Conan, how you doing? Da, da, da. I said, dad, he didn't say a word to me either. <laughs> he was that silent. He was that just, but when he stood up, everyone was like, oh, my God, he's going to talk. What's he going to say? It's like, you know, you don't know this EF Hutton commercial, but. It was a brokerage house. And when Ian EF Hutton talked, you know, everybody listened. So Hawk, when he started talking, everybody listened, but uh, awesome guy. One of the guys that I refer to in speeches all the time about talk about a guy that had no business running as hard as he could to first base in 1996 after a 23 year career, yeah. his knees were shredded. He ran his butt off every time he put the ball in play. And I couldn't respect a player more than that guy, the way he went about his business. And where did the nickname the Hawk come from? Do you know? 
Good question. I know I've heard the story, but I cannot recall it right now. I mean, he's got a big tattoo on his arm of a hawk. And, <laughs> no way. Yeah. Uh, and he's just talk about a physical, he's still shredded. I mean, he is, he works out all the time. Yeah. I remember walking into the uh, locker room and he would have the, like the 70 pound dumbbells doing curls in front of the mirror at whatever old, he was 60 some years old, still doing 60 pound curls with these dumbbells. The guy's massive up top. Um, and just, uh, just a cool, awesome dude to work alongside. That's awesome. And, and that's a guy that I always just saw what he did in terms of the production for so long. And you have to wonder too, cause he said he probably could have played till he was 43, 44, if it weren't for all the wear and tear. I mean, he was still pretty darn good even at 41 years old with, with the Marlins, he just couldn't really stay in the field from what it seems like only playing 42 games and was mostly in that pinch hitting type of role, but still even there hit 276 in that very limited and difficult and inconsistent role. Uh, Hall of Famer for good reason, eight time gold Glover, eight time all-star four time silver slugger rookie of the year MVP, and even a home run derby champ on top of that, which is, uh, which is pretty darn cool. Yeah, I don't know if you remember the famous story of his uh, blank check. He gave the Cubs a blank check and hold, and told them to fill it in. No, nope. he was coming from uh, Montreal, and I I'm not going to tell the entire story because I'll screw it up. But just Google blank check story for Andre Dawson, and he basically gave the Cubs a blank check. Said, "Here, I want to play for you guys." The Montreal was like messing with him and didn't the negotiations fell through. He got to the Cubs and said, "Here, here's a blank check. Write in. You think what do you think I'm worth? And I'm going to play for you." Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's a great story. I'll have to look that one up. And Crazy. then I got a counter with and that the, was his MVP year. That was his MVP. 49. Yep. That's, that's an unreal story. Now I got a counter with the trivia question on yourself. What year did you have the most stolen bases of your career? Uh, it was in Baltimore. Yes. Uh, I'm going to say 2001. Yes. And how many was it? I want to say 12. Yes. But how many attempts? 12. No. No. I know at one point it was 20 attempts, maybe. Yes. All right. 12 for 20. Why the hell did you try so many times if you're getting thrown out that much? Hey, my Cargrove, he liked to run. And I'm like, I'm never going to get this opportunity because, you know, he's not giving me the steel sign. So we had like a, a little key sign in the dugout. If you glanced in on that, key for that night was uh, available, then you were free to run. And I was like, excited, man. Yeah. So, 12, 12 for 20. So at one point I think I was, I had stretched it out from the pre- previous season or I don't know, but I was like 10 or 12 in a row at one point. So yeah, the next year you went eight for eight. That's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. So at, at one point I had uh, like, I can't remember how many in a row, but you know, when you're, never really given the green light. And now you're given the green light. You know, you have some missteps on this go because you're nervous and you're fudging a lot and you give it away. But uh, I love the fact that my cargo was just letting guys, you know, he'd pick his counts. He'd, he would pick his counts. And uh, one of the things that he would have the, he would have the trainer come up on the, on the top step and put a towel on his shoulder. So as a, as a guy in first, I glance in there and if the towel was on the trainer's shoulder, that was my green light that I could go. So he wasn't <laughs> actually giving cool. me a sign from the third base coach. It was this key. And I'd like, all right. And I'd get nervous and whatever, but uh, I love seeing those signs to go. And then you look in and it would be off the next pitch. If you didn't go that pitch, it'd be off the next pitch. So he, he picked his, he picked his times. 
That's pretty cool. And, and you also stole four bags at 41 years old with the Reds, four for four. Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess those were some dirt ball reads at that point. But or it might have been back into double steals. You never know. <laughs> but uh, I, I wanted to see if you would get that one. I feel like you'd remember having the 12 stolen bases, but 20 stolen bases in a span of two seasons, not bad at all, uh, given it wasn't a huge part of your game. And that 2001 season was a good one for you. 311, 386, 443 slash line. Pretty darn good with the 12 bags and uh, 14 homers. So a 10-10 season. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, does that go. make you appreciate the 40-40, how it's, damn hard that is? It's insane to have those two tools in your bag powerful one and then that kind of speed to feel to seal 40 bases is that's absurd it's outrageous and that's why it's a very very select club there aren't too many members of that club no and i don't i mean i think we could see tatis do it if he's healthy maybe acuna i don't know if he's going to steal as much when he comes back but it's just so hard there's just so much that goes into it especially in today's game with how hard it is to run on on a lot of these pitchers and a lot of these catchers but talking about home runs i mean griffin has now hit 51 home runs in 161 games, that being your son, of course. And then Ivan Melendez, or sorry, MJ Melendez, excuse me, who is the son of the head coach at FIU as well, Merville Melendez, who you are working with now as the associate head coach. They've been just changing the lead, like changing hands of leading the minor leagues in home runs. MJ Melendez has been unbelievable and the fact that he's doing it as a catcher is pretty crazy and now griff is just hitting home run after home run after home run let's start with griff obviously this has been fun for you to watch it's it's stressful like it's it's definitely a little stressful for me when he gets first gets up to double a he had to get his feet wet struck out a lot uh and then really just got it going and it just clicked and then the floodgates have just opened and you're seeing a player now, I think when I watch now, I'm curious what you think. Just supreme confidence. And it seems like there's just not a pitch that he feels like he can't hit. And he seems like he feels like he can hit it further than anybody in the world. And, and that's the really cool thing about it right now. I mean, what are you seeing with, with your son now who leads the minor leagues in home runs by himself? Just that, you know, I, you know I've always talked to Griff about uh, the mental side of the game. I know his mechanics have always been very sound and there might be uh, minor changes that I would suggest here or there when I haven't seen him in a while and I see his hands might creep a little too high or you know, he might get a little too over-rotated with his torso. But for the most part, his mechanics have always been very solid. So I've always concentrated on approach. You know, what, what is your approach? What are you thinking when you go up there? Um, try to get him not to guess, you know, because uh, guess hitters for me are the easiest hitters to get out if you're a pitcher because you, you can't guess along – the lines all the time. And if you're guessing and you get it, you better hit it because uh, you're probably not going to guess right too many times. So the thing about Griff is even the other night, uh, he hit a ball to left field down the line, his second home run that he hit that night. And that night was crazy because uh, you know, we get the text or I'm watching on Twitter and I see that MJ had hit two home runs uh, to tie Griff because he had hit one in the first inning. And then uh, later on that game, I see, you know, Griff hits another one. And I, and I actually text uh, Merv, my boss, basically, our, our head coach at FIU. I text him. I said, ah, Griffin doesn't like to be tied for very long. So he went up to 28. MJ had 27. And then sure enough, like 14 minutes later, MJ hits another one. They're back tied at, at uh, 28. And that night, 
Mer, or uh, MJ had had a doubleheader. He hit three bombs that night. Griff hit two bombs in that in his game. So it's been super fun to watch. It's it's so exciting, you know, and especially. We were bantering back and forth, Merv and I, about our kids and how proud of our kids we are. And and we're like, our guys at FIU better swing the bat. They better hit for power because our two sons are leading all the world right now in home runs. It'll be kind of embarrassing if we don't have any power hitters at FIU. So, But one thing about Griff, the second home run he hit, he said, yeah, he was kind of fooled a little bit on a changeup away. And he still was able to hit it out to left field, down the line, which – you know, and I've told you this before, I can't relate to that type of power because I had to have everything perfectly going to the opposite field to be able to hit one out. Everything had to be in sync, good backspin where he said he was fooled a little bit and might've been even off the plate. He said a ball and he was still able to get enough on it to get it out. So, um, you know, that's a gift. Um, when you have that type of power, you can hit it to all fields at any time, even when you're off balance. So, it's been fun to watch, um, you know, uh, hopefully he continues to hone his plan and hone his mental um, uh, approach when you get to the plate, because when he really, I think, gets that down where it's consistent and I think we haven't even seen the best out of him yet. <laughs> Which is crazy because it's like, how much better can you get than 51 bombs in 161 games? But he's even said that to me where he shoots me a text. Well, after the two home runs, he sent me a text. It was just two words, said, I'm back. And <laughs> that was pretty cool. Uh, but he also, I was just like, man, you know, what, what, what's really clicked for you here? Uh, other than just a few minor tweaks at the plate. Of course, you talk about the approach and, and he just says, I'm just now feeling stuff that I've never felt before. So piggybacking off of what you said, that is terrifying for, for the league. If he really is just feeling it now, it's pretty nuts because I think you can attest to this being that you watch the games and with all the prospect coverage I do for just baseball and uh, just in general, double A is as talented as I've ever seen it. I mean, I think it had something to do with the layoff last year. A lot of college players drafted in the 2020 draft that made it quick to double A. It seems like the top end talent at double A, there's a lot of tier one type talent day in and day out. And it seems like there's as big of a drop off or, or jump up from high A to double A as I've ever seen. What are your thoughts on that? Because I mean, we're, we're, we're seeing the pitchers that they have to face day to day. It's insane. I mean, every single pitcher they face on every, I mean, every starting pitcher, uh, they face in every organization is is literally 95 plus. I mean, uh, Griff faced uh, the kid from Atlanta uh, the other day that you text me on. He's one of their top guys. He's throwing 99 yeah. miles an hour. Yeah, Spencer Strider just sitting 98, 99. 99. I mean, Griff, you know, really worked on hitting the high fastball pregame and ended up getting one of those and hit it out for a home run, but 99 miles an hour. But that's on a daily basis. So, you know, it's almost, uh, I know that, once you see velocity, you get used to it, but still that, that shortened reaction time uh, leads to no mistakes. You have to be able to hit it. So be so surprised, uh, precise when that ball comes in at that kind of velocity, where when I, I was in double a, you know, we'd seldom face the guy throwing 95, you know, most guys 89 to 91. That's kind of where most double a prospects set. And, and I was, when I was coming up through double a, that was kind of the advent of, all right, now you can get called up to the big leagues from double a, you don't have to make that triple A stop. So I think that's what we're seeing now. Most talented players are in double A right now, where triple A is more seasoned guys that I think 
Um, you know, if they need a body up in the big leagues to fill a, fill a spot, especially a veteran pitcher or a veteran outfielder or infielder that, you know, when somebody gets hurt, they can go up there for two weeks and then they come right back down where your true talented prospects and then, you know, it doesn't count for every organization or AAA blanketed, but I think what I'm seeing on a daily basis, the, the most talented prospects are in double A right now. I totally agree. And the only time you see some of those other players in AAA is just if there's like some overflow or you got systems like the Rays where they have so much talent that they just put some of their top guys in AAA. But I agree. I think you're seeing now if you hit in AA, you can make the jump to the bigs. I don't think there's that extra step that's necessary. Uh, And it's been pretty, pretty darn cool to see. Any plans to get out there to Pensacola? I know it's not the easiest to get to, but they do have a direct flight from Miami to Pensacola. Uh, I want to try and get out there at some point to watch them play, but uh, that stadium looks incredible. Yeah, incredible. Um, Right there on the bay, and, uh, you know, you look at their attendance numbers. They lead. We're at the top of the league every year in attendance numbers. I think it's been voted the the minor league ballpark of the year like three different times. So, um, you know, coming Monday, they're coming back home for a two week homestand. He's got some buds that are going to come down uh, and visit. I think that first week and the the following week, we're going to go up and and get to catch a couple of games because I got school starting. I got school starting on the 23rd. Uh, I'm a student as well. So I'm going to be taking classes, not on campus, but online. Um, And then we get our guys together and we start practices uh, the day after Labor Day. And uh, from there on, I'm going to be a busy man. So to wrap up here, can you tell everybody what you're studying? Well, um, I, I went into the advisor and I said, I want the path of least resistance to a degree. I mean, I'm not like focusing on, cause I was an econ major when I first uh, entered UCLA, which was an awful major, boring as hell. Um, but that probably was the only one athlete just, that was an econ major. Yeah, probably. I just picked it at that time. I had no aspirations of going pro. So I f- actually was going to finish my degree there and maybe go into the financial world somehow. Um, so the advisor here at FIU, I just said, what's the path of least resistance? And they have a major called interdisciplinary studies. So it's basically, they have a few requisites that you have to take in the major. And then other than that, it's whatever you want. So I can take a ton of courses that uh, I'm interested in. And I'm actually looking forward to taking some of the ones that I'm in oceanography right now. And there's a, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Uh, there's a uh, for- introductory forensic science course. Uh, that I'm I took that in. a lot of fun. Um, you know, I can help a lot you if cool, you need. I still got my notes. There you go. A lot of cool stuff that I think a meteorology course, cause I'm all into weather, you know, and I think, Oh, so you can start my, being that guy at the ballpark. That's like, Oh no, it's not going to rain because this, this, and this I've already been that guy. I can tell by the way the flag was waving. I'm like, no, no, we're good. Uh, if it drops this way and turns this direction, then we're in trouble. Right. I used to do that all the time. And, and the guys would always ask me, Hey, Conan, what's the weather going to do? I'm like, it'll be here in 15 minutes. It's going to rain in 15 minutes. <laughs> You're an asset or you're annoying. There's no in between with those kind of guys. There's yeah, no, I was probably more, I was probably more annoying than an asset. <laughs> but uh, you got to go into class one day. I think you just got to surprise people and just, just roll into class. See, see if anybody looks twice at the, yeah. uh, the grown man and in, coming into class that also might be donning, you know, FIU baseball stuff. Maybe I'll wear my, um, my old Marlins jersey or something. <laughs> yeah. Not That'll a bad move. Not a bad move. Well, I'm excited to hear about your courses. Uh, this is a very fun role reversal for me. So uh, yeah, right. I'm not in college anymore. And uh, it's, it's really cool, though. And I think that's something that's really awesome. I had a couple people in one of my classes that were looking to do co- like going into the coaching realm and um, just 
hearing about what it was like to go back to school after being out of it for so long should be pretty cool. But FIU is lucky to have you. I'm really excited to talk to you as the season goes on uh, because we know the caliber of talent that FIU is able to get and that is just down here in South Florida. Uh, and it should be really fun to kind of get a little bit of an inside look at a college baseball program. So that'll be cool as we get closer to the season. Uh, but we've got a lot of major league baseball to go. Uh, that Dodgers Astro series lived up to the bill. In my opinion, it was electric, a lot of fun, a lot of booze uh, and a lot of trash cans thrown on the field. But <laughs> I thought, I thought we previewed that pretty well and it, and it lived up to the expectations and uh, that would not be a bad world series matchup. Nice that would little- be an amazing world series matchup. I mean, talk about two stud teams that are pretty evenly matched in my opinion. Uh, you got great arms on both sides. You got great offenses on both sides, speed, you know, with the Astros speed and defense, um, they're a juggernaut, man. They're a really, really good team. But I still like the way the Giants are hanging in there. Uh, they're still leading that Giants guy. National League West. And I'd love to see them the plow through at the very end and have it's going to be a shame, but have the Padres and Dodgers battle that one one wild card game playoff to get into the postseason. That's going to be the craziest game ever going to be all hands on deck so I, I, that's yep. what i'm expecting and i think the giants that's their best case scenario to, to try to get the dodgers out of the postseason is or, or out of the postseason quickly is that so we'll see how it ends up it's unfortunate but it's also really cool and uh we'll be heading towards that point now pretty soon we're already getting deep into august or getting midway into august before we know it and uh i'm looking forward to the postseason episodes we're still embargoing the Steve Bartman episode, but I'm looking forward to that as well. Oh, I should have saved the cup Jersey until that one. Ah, uh, you got another one, right? You got like four hall of famers. You, I already do. Flexed that I one. Do. So you got three more. You got three more. So at least we'll, we'll, we'll get that Bartman story when the postseason comes around a lot more fun coming. Let's have a great weekend and we'll circle back next week for outside the box with Jeff Conine.